time. It's a quarter past midnight as you cut through the city after being called to a residential alcohol detox center for a person having an anxiety attack. You're directed to a tearful and trembling 31-year-old female who checked in earlier in the day. She tells you that she's feeling really anxious and can't keep her hands from shaking. Just for good measure, she also tells you that she saw a raccoon in her room a few minutes ago, but nobody will believe her. She's alert and oriented to person, place, time, and situation with a GCS of 15. Your partner grabs a set of vitals and reports that her blood pressure is 148 over 98, her heart rate is 110, and she's breathing 24 times per minute. Her oxygen saturation is 99% on room air, and her temperature is 99.8 degrees. She says that she's here to get her life together and detox from alcohol and Xanax. She denies any other medical problems. Your partner turns to you and says, It doesn't sound like she really needs to go to the hospital. I mean, shouldn't this place be able to handle this? After all, this is exactly the reason she's here. You're listening to 911Cast, the no-nonsense EMS podcast. I'm Scott Topiel, and this week, it's all about alcohol and benzodiazepine withdrawal. Alcohol use disorder affects millions of Americans, and roughly half of them will experience withdrawal symptoms. Recognizing the signs of alcohol withdrawal and understanding how to manage it is crucial for healthcare professionals, including EMS providers. But before we get into the specifics of how to assess and treat these patients, we really do need to take a closer look at how alcohol affects the brain at a chemical level. I promise that I'm not wasting your time here, so please don't skip this part. This is one set of patients where appreciating the pathophysiology can really make a difference in how you approach their condition. You can think of the brain and nervous system as a highway where electrical signals are constantly moving. To keep everything moving smoothly, the system needs accelerators and brakes. For the sake of this discussion, we're going to focus on two neurotransmitters, GABA and NMDA. GABA is the body's main inhibitory chemical. In other words, it's the brakes. So that means that NMDA, you guessed it, is a major excitatory chemical that acts like an accelerator. Normally, the speed up and slow down forces are kept balanced until something tips that balance, which is where alcohol and benzodiazepines come in. Alcohol is a downer or central nervous system depressant that works partly by increasing the activity of GABA or applying the brakes while simultaneously letting off the gas by decreasing the activity of NMDA. When someone drinks alcohol in moderation, these effects wear off quickly. But when a person consumes alcohol regularly and over a long period of time, the body starts to compensate for this imbalance by decreasing the amount of GABA, less breaks, and increasing NMDA, more gas. This is what leads to the development of tolerance over time that, in turn, causes a person to consume ever-increasing quantities of alcohol. So what happens when a person suddenly reduces the amount of alcohol in their system? The body's compensation mechanisms are suddenly unopposed by alcohol, and the gas pedal gets stuck at full throttle, and the brakes go out. And the person doesn't have to be completely sober for withdrawal to occur. Serious symptoms can start even when the person is still technically drunk. All it takes is for the blood alcohol level to dip below their normal level, enough for the system to get thrown out of whack. And when this happens... The results can be life-threatening. The time course of alcohol withdrawal, 
technically called alcohol withdrawal syndrome or AWS, varies from person to person, but generally follows this timeline. About six hours after the last drink, early symptoms including anxiety, headache, nausea, vomiting, tachycardia, mild hypertension, and of course tremors begin. On the subject of tremors, a great way to assess for them is to ask your patient to stick out their tongue, then look for fasciculations or tremor-like movements on the surface of the tongue. It's impossible to fake a tongue tremor, and tremors associated with acute alcohol withdrawal can usually be seen here first. 8 to 12 hours from their last drink, your patient might begin having hallucinations in addition to other symptoms. These are commonly visual or auditory, but they can also involve the sense of taste or smell. The sensation that bugs are crawling on the skin, called formication, is also common. Despite hallucinating, your patient will still be otherwise alert and oriented at this point. Withdrawal seizures most commonly occur around the 12 to 24 hour mark, but they can occur in as little as just a few hours from the last drink, so don't get too married to this timeline. These are most often brief tonic-clonic seizures that might occur in clusters. You'll treat active withdrawal seizures the same way you treat any other seizure. Between 24 and 72 hours, but sometimes as early as 8 hours, life-threatening alcohol delirium, better known as delirium tremens or simply DTs, can occur. A key difference between earlier stages of withdrawal and DTs is the patient's mental state. During the earlier hallucinosis stage, your patient will continue to have an otherwise normal mental state. Once they enter DTs, they enter a state of psychosis where they're no longer thinking normally. This is a true medical emergency that requires aggressive treatment and close monitoring. Not only will your patient have significant mental status changes, they're also at risk of cardiac dysrhythmias, seizures, and sudden cardiac arrest. Untreated, DTs are nearly 20% fatal. But even with medical care, the death rate is still around 5%. Now that you've identified the presence of alcohol withdrawal, it's time to start treating it. As always, follow your local protocols and medical direction. But in general, benzodiazepines are the primary treatment for alcohol withdrawal, including delirium tremens. These medications help apply the brakes by increasing the effects of GABA, in turn, reducing the frequency of seizures and preventing the development of delirium. They also provide symptomatic relief from many of the other, less dangerous withdrawal symptoms. There really isn't any clear evidence supporting the use of one benzodiazepine over another, but diazepam is commonly used in hospitals because of its relatively long half-life. Many EMS systems carry shorter-acting agents such as midazolam. Patients with histories of chronic alcohol use can develop cross-tolerance of benzos, so anticipate the possibility that your standard dosing may not be enough. Treat active withdrawal seizures as you would any other seizure, according to your agency's practice. Then, provide close monitoring of your patient's airway, breathing, and circulation, including continuous cardiac monitoring, and, if possible, waveform capnography. Capnography is especially useful for monitoring your patient's ventilatory status after you've given them sedating medications that could impair their breathing. Be sure to have suction ready, and be prepared to support their breathing using a bag valve mask if necessary. Alcohol isn't the only substance that can lead to life-threatening withdrawal. Earlier in this episode, I promised that we'd discuss benzodiazepine withdrawal. As mentioned, these drugs act as GABA agonists or substances that increase the downer effects of GABA. And just as with chronic alcohol use, long-term benzo use throws the GABA system off balance, 
leading to compensation. When a person stops or reduces their benzodiazepine intake, many of the same symptoms of alcohol withdrawal appear. That also means that a benzodiazepine withdrawal can progress through virtually all of the same symptoms as alcohol withdrawal and can be just as life-threatening. The treatment is essentially the same, with close monitoring coupled with benzodiazepine administration for the management of symptoms and prevention of seizures. These patients can be difficult to treat, and the withdrawal period tends to last considerably longer than alcohol, taking as long as three weeks to resolve. Now, let's get back to our case. Your patient reports that she had her last drink about 12 hours ago, right before she checked into the rehab center, and that she stopped taking Xanax, a benzodiazepine, two days ago. Based on this history, her symptoms, and slightly elevated vital signs, you recognize that she's likely beginning to experience a combination of alcohol and benzodiazepine withdrawal. Although your partner thinks she just needs to tough it out and that the rehab should be able to handle this, you recognize that these withdrawals can require intensive hospital care and turn life-threatening. During transport, the patient experiences a tonic-clonic seizure, and you administer a dose of midazolam according to your standard protocol. You transfer care to the ER staff, and learn that she was ultimately admitted to a monitored unit for ongoing treatment. Alcohol and benzodiazepines are some of the most used substances in the United States and can both lead to severe, life-threatening withdrawal when abruptly stopped. Symptoms can begin as early as six hours after the last intake and include anxiety, headache, nausea, vomiting, tremors, tachycardia, hypertension, hallucinations, and seizures. If untreated, Delirium tremens can develop, which causes severe altered mental status, elevated vital signs, and could cause cardiac arrest and death. ALS transport with close monitoring and administration of benzodiazepines for symptom and seizure control according to your local protocols are key to improving patient outcomes and preventing death. That's it for this episode of 911Cast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Until next time... Thanks for listening.